back corner for Children's Church. Uh, the rest of you, let's open up our Bibles together to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3. Somebody turn the light on, please. Ruth chapter 3, and we're going to read the whole chapter today. If you don't have a Bible, you can pick one up over on the resource table. All right, we're at Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich, and now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning he will redeem you good, if he will redeem you good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning." So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize one another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Let's pray. God, as we consider this wonderful story of Ruth, uh, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to see Jesus in all of this, that, God, you would open up our eyes uh, to the, the beauty of what it looks like when people are faithful and how you are carrying out your divine plans and purposes. Thank you, Lord, that we get to be a part of your story. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, what does it look like to be faithful, to faithfully follow the Lord? How does selfless obedience play itself out on the stage of life. One of my, my former jobs, and even part of that time while I was pastoring, I was working, was at a very prominent 
local shipping and delivery company. And one of my responsibilities when I worked there was I was in charge of training new hires. So their first week of working at the job, they got me. And what I had to do as part of that is I showed a whole lot of instructional safety videos. It was riveting. And I, I would, and I've watched the videos so often, so anytime they would give us a new one, it was exciting. It was like, it was like a new release back in the blockbuster days. So I finally, and one of them was good because what the video would do is it would show everything not to do. So this person would do like pretty much everything that you shouldn't do. He would throw packages. He would grab packages with his bare hands by the straps. Instead of using his legs to pick up packages, he would bend at his back. He would walk on moving conveyor belts. He would go up and down the ladder backwards. Like everything that, like it's horrifying at a company with lawsuits and everything that could potentially happen from an injury. But then after you would watch that video, we would watch a video where somebody did it in this immaculate, perfect environment, which was not real life, but it, man, it looked good. Everything, the package was picked up nice and neat at a, at a steady pace, uh, always bending rightly, going up ladders, never getting on belts. It was, it, was, it was wonderful. And what you saw in all that is when you stood the right way and the wrong way side by side, it was a stark contrast. There was very little confusion if we asked the new hire, so which video do you think we want you to do? It was pretty given, like obviously the safe one. Well, chapter three in Ruth, is what it looks like to do things rightly. Chapter three is when God's people faithfully follow after him. Now, we remember the context of Ruth. It was in the time of the what? Judges, and we love it, and we know this, right? It, in Judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So in this environment, in this culture where everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes, you have these three characters doing what is right in God's eyes. So that's what we're going to consider today, what it looks like to be faithful to God. If you're taking notes, uh, we're going to begin our time. We're going to look at each character. First of all, we're going to look at the command of Naomi that she had a plan, she was going to play matchmaker, and we see how that is, is playing itself out. Secondly, we're going to look at the compliance of Ruth, that she goes along with the plan. So command of Naomi, compliance of Ruth, and then lastly, we're going to look at the compassion of Boaz, that he is open to being used by God. So let's pick up at verse 1 as we see the command of Naomi. Now if you remember chapter 1, we saw the fingerprints of God. God is in all the details, that nothing is arbitrary. Famines are not by chance. The loss of spouses, everything, God is at work. Last week we saw Pastor Andy, he preached, and we heard about what? The grace upon grace of God. The Hesed love, the, the covenant faithfulness of God was on display in chapter 2. And in chapter 3, we see his sovereign purposes playing themselves out through faithful people. Let's look at verse 1. First thing I want us to see about Naomi and her command is that she cares dearly. It says that Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with 
you. She has good intentions here. I want us to understand that about Naomi right here. Ruth has been so good to her mother-in-law, Naomi wants to reward and pay her back. She cares about her well-being. We need to understand, Naomi is getting up in age. Or she's getting older. She's not going to be around forever, and she's worried, what happens to my Moabite daughter-in-law when I am gone? I need to set her up for, for well-being, for success. I, we don't love talking about it, but life insurance— it's just not the funnest conversation, right? You need it because if something does happen, you really want those loved ones that are depending upon you to be prepared, to be, to be taken care of. Like, it's not fun to talk about. I mean, I, I guarantee, you, know, you might talk about it today because I'm bringing it up, but when you go to lunch, like, that's not usually what you want to talk about. Like, hey, if I die, we need to have this in place. But really, we need to understand what Naomi is doing is she is getting a life insurance policy for her daughter-in-law. That's what's going on here. She's wanting to provide for Ruth. First Timothy 5.8, it talks about just our responsibility in this regard. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Ruth was so, Naomi was so worried about Ruth early on in chapter one. Do you remember this? The reason she wanted both of her daughter-in-laws to go back was why? I'm old. I'm not going to be able to have a kid for you to eventually marry. And you need to find rest in, the, in your husband. You need to find a husband. But now she's got Ruth here and she's like, I'm going to answer my own blessing, my own prayer, my own requests. And what we see in all of this and, and her good intentions is I want us to see just how selfless Naomi is. She cares in the interests of others. Philippians 2.4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That she has a duty to care, to help other people. There is a Christ-likeness in Naomi in this passage. And I think why it's such a, a, a thing that we need to to belabor and to talk about is we live in a day and age where it is all about me. We, we live in probably the, one of the most self-centered cultures in all of the world where our, our, our advice is you need to do what is best for who? Do best for yourself. It doesn't matter the, the, the bonds you break, the promises you break, the laws you break, you need to watch out for number one, and number one is you. And yet faithful followers of Jesus realize it's not about you. It's about others. Well, do you emphasize the well-being of others? She has good intentions, but I, I will say this, and this is going to be the lone critique of the characters in our chapter today. She gets a little impatient. She gets a little impatient. Her plan is a, is, a, is a little dangerous. She puts her daughter-in-law in harm's way. Like I said, I don't want to go too critical because the Bible doesn't do a full-blown critique of Naomi in this regard. But I think she starts to try to take matters into her own hands in this regard. Who here ever gets impatient reading a story or watching a show? Raise your hand. 
Who here has ever skipped ahead? Raise your hand. Numerous times. If it's just taking too long in a book, I just skim. All right, okay, this is what happened. Or a show like one of the greatest inventions in modern time was fast forward on a video, like to be able to kind of skip ahead. Yeah, that, I, I think there's part of that. So I think what was going on with Naomi and Ruth, I think at some point earlier on, Naomi started thinking, Boaz might be the guy. He seems to having at least a little interest in my daughter-in-law. He's being really kind. But the whole harvest season comes and goes and no action on the part of Boaz besides just being a nice guy. And like she gets the fast forward button. She's like, I'm done waiting. I'm going to make this happen. And we, we see that. But like I said, she puts her in harm's way. Prior to this, in the first two chapters, multiple times there is an, a, a, a fear of what happening to Ruth. Her being assaulted out in the field. It's dangerous. You're a single woman out there in our culture where everybody's doing what is right in their own eyes. So remember that. That's the context. And then she has her go out in the middle of the night to put herself in that environment. So there is this uh, a sense where I think she's trying to force the hand of God. God is gracious. God works all things for the good. He uses it. But I, I think we need to exercise some caution in our own lives because I think you and I, we do have a tendency to get impatient with God. We want God's will our way. And that's not a good thing. Psalm 27, verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So you might be in that position today, right now, where you're getting an impatient with God. Like, I know what I want God to do. I think I can help God in the process. I just want to encourage you and challenge you. Wait. Be patient. That doesn't mean we don't be proactive. I think that's a beautiful thing about Naomi in this chapter is she is very proactive. But there's a sense where she probably could have waited a little bit on God and God would have worked out the details. But not only does she care dearly, she calculates rightly. Look at verse 2. Is not Boaz our relative with who, whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So she's not liking the slowness. She has an idea. She decides to play matchmaker. She's going to play Cupid. Have you ever set up anybody? Anybody? Has anybody set up somebody that got married as a result of your setting up? Raise your hand. A few. I have one success story so far. That's it. I have a lot of failures. I'm really hesitant even to do it anymore because I was like, Ugh. but yeah, that's what she does. She sees opportunity knocking, and she's like, I'm going to answer the door. And her inspiration, though, is not just on a whim. It's not because, hey, like Boaz could be the guy. It's based on two customs at the time, and we need to understand this historically. One, the Goel, the kinsman redeemer custom. There was an obligation as a family member to redeem property and inheritance to your family if hard times fell on your family members. Leviticus 25, verse 25 speaks of this. If any one of your countrymen becomes poor and sells some of his property, so he's poor, he has to get rid of his property, this nearest relative is to come and to redeem what his countryman had sold. In other words, they're going to come in, buy back that property, and get that property back to the family. That is the idea of the kinsman redeemer. And what we see here is in Naomi's life, she has become poor. 
She still has property, as we're going to see in chapter 4. She's going to sell the property. And Ruth are in a time of need. And we have Boaz here as a potential kinsman redeemer. So that's the first thing. The Goel, the kinsman redeemer. Family is in a state of need. Another family member has the resources and ability to step in and redeem for them. And we'll, not, we'll spend a lot more time thinking through that kind of idea next week with Jesus. But Jesus is the ultimate kinsman redeemer. You understand that? Boaz is a glimpse in a very small way of what Jesus is going to do. He's going to step in and redeem us in our greatest need through the gospel, through the cross. Well, do you see the desperate situation that we find Naomi and Ruth in? But not only do we have the kinsman redeemer, the Goel, it's the leveret is the other one that's big. It was an ancient marriage institution custom. The nearest relative would fill in for the male relative that died without children. And his responsibility was to produce an offspring with the widow so that the dead man's name would be perpetuated. Do you understand? I mean, think about it in our society. I know this doesn't always happen, but when a man and a woman get married, typically speaking, the woman takes the man's last name. So if a family, in a hypothetical scenario, if a family has only daughters, the dad's last name doesn't get perpetuated. Do you understand? And that's, it's that idea that this is what's going to happen, uh, that, that something needs to happen. Deuteronomy 25.5, if a brother is living uh, and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall bear the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. We need to understand that, that is, this is significant. This is important information for us to know amongst the Israelites. That it would extend beyond siblings to carry on the name. The name was important. The inheritance was important. And spoiler alert, this has even a greater degree of significance because the lineage of Jesus is at stake right now. Do you understand that? And we're going to see that next week. But the lineage of Jesus, the line of Abraham that God promised, I'm going to bless you and all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. It's going to go through this family. And if, if the family ceases to have children, the line would end up dying off. So this is a hanging by the balance thing that we don't really know how grave the situation is. Do you see why Naomi is concerned about Ruth and her future, her own family's heritage? So that's the command of Naomi. She cares dearly. She calculates rightly. Let's now look at Ruth. Let's see her compliance. So Naomi comes up with a plan. Plans are great, but Ruth has to follow through on the plan. Ruth has to be willing and, and in faith and dependence. She trusts in her mother-in-law. First of all, she obeys the, the plan. Read verse 3 with me. It says, Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. Naomi's plan. 
It's pretty clever. It is smart. Minus the danger and impatience, she knows what she's doing. First of all, she's getting her all dressed up nice and neat. Now, if you read certain commentaries, you read articles on this, because we live in our world, immediately this is all about sex. And it, it, what Naomi is telling Ruth to do is you need to seduce this man. Is that what's going on? Everybody nod your head no. No, what she's doing is she is telling her daughter-in-law, I want you to dress up like a bride. You're getting dressed up because and a, a proposal is going to be going down shortly. So she's dressing her up. She's making her favorable to act. And I mean, that makes sense. Like, why would you not make the circumstances as ideal as possible for a moment like that of such significance? I mean, we do it with his young kids even. And when you were a kid, if you were trying to get your parents to jump on board with something, do you typically go out of your way to set the stage? My kids who never do chores all of a sudden are doing chores. The house is clean. I'm doing dishes. I'm like, what is wrong? The two questions is, what did you do or what do you want? She's setting up the environment where Ruth is, is looking nice and, and, and pretty. But also the timing, it's, 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 as we're going to see, is, excru- is crucial. It's really what Proverbs 12, 27 says. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. Naomi is being diligent. Or are you proactive in life? Are you, you passive? Like I said, I think there's a degree of impatience on the part of Naomi. But there's also a beauty in the fact that she sees an opportunity and, and she, she does something about it. I think for too many of us as Christians, we rely so much on God, we sit passively around and feel like, well, God will do something, and I just can sit here and wait. No, sometimes part of the doing is you getting up and going. So we we see her plan is smart, but it's also very strategic. Read verse 6 with me. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went down to lie at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down at midnight. The man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. So we need to understand the threshing floor would have been a community threshing floor. So there is a very good possibility there were other people at the threshing floor, which even makes this a lot more suspenseful. She's coming in the night. There's going to be other people there, other men there. She's going to somehow in the dark. The other thing is darkness. You and I, we, we struggle with darkness because we live, I know some of you out in the country can experience this a little bit more. We live close to lights. Like even when it's dark outside, is it really that dark? They're in the middle of nowhere. It is really that dark. So she's able to conceal her identity. So what would have happened with the threshing floor is the harvester, they trample, they beat on uh, the the harvest to remove husks from the kernel. And then what they would do with like a pitching fork, they would scoop up, they would toss it in the air. The breeze, typically the threshing floor would be on the top of a hill. Breeze would come by, the shaft would blow away, the kernel would remain. Well, he'd been doing that for the day. He's got a giant mound. Why is he sleeping there? Because people would steal it. So he is being security. So he's got this pile there. So he's sleeping after he ate. Ruth is hiding. You can imagine Ruth, like the anticipation. One, she's probably afraid. 
She's probably nervous. She's probably excited. Is this plan going to work? I mean, all of those emotions are probably going on, and she's in the dark. And then she says, I want you, when everything is right, you're going to go over and uncover this dude's feet. Why? What would that do? A couple, I think it was a couple Sundays ago, I, I took a nap on our couch, and I woke up to a breeze. And I'm like, is there a door open? The window right by our couch, somebody had opened it at some point, didn't seal it. So it was closed, but it wasn't closed, and cold air was blowing in. He's in the middle of the night, there's, it's breezy, and all of a sudden his feet are uncovered. What's it going to do? It's going to wake him up. That was the point behind it. And then, bam, can you imagine, can you imagine being Boaz in all of this? You wake up, and there's a woman there, and she's smelling good. And we've already seen that. She's all cleaned up. She's smelling good. So then you, like, and it's dark, so he doesn't even know. He, I mean, realistically, he probably is wondering, is this a prostitute? Like, what is going on in all of this? But Naomi, what we see happening, she is creating a moment. She's creating an opportunity that we're going to see uh, what happens. Or are there things in your life today that you could be doing to create those moments to, to, to build those opportunities where God can step in. So she obeys the plan, and then there she goes. Verse 9, she offers a proposal. He said, who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So we read that. doesn't seem like a big deal, but what she just did is she proposed. Spread your rings over your maid. Like when we hear that initially, it sounds like she's cold and she wants the covers. That's not what she's doing. In preparing for this, I, I went on YouTube and I said, uh, something wedding proposals. And I got to watch. Uh, there are a lot of creative wedding marriage proposals out there. Like really. Uh, and like I'm also a little emotional as a dude, surprisingly. So, like, I was crying a lot watching these. For real, like, I, yeah, I, I, I cried at Lassie growing up. So, you give me a good marriage proposal, I'm crying. One that really got me, because I'm in the sports, and was, uh, there was a player at Indiana, uh, University of Indiana, Hoosier. It was senior night. And he had had, like, a lot of injuries to make it to being a senior. Lots of time, and he's thanking everybody. And then his girlfriend was a cheerleader, he starts talking about her and then has her come up and shares kind of the story when he tore, I think he tore his ACL and she was, she was out of town, came back and began the process of rehab with him. And he was just so grateful for her. And then like out of nowhere, he walks over, he gets a box and you know what's going down next. He proposed, the place is going crazy. People are crying. Like it doesn't seem as dramatic when we read this. But this is like a ridiculously beautiful proposal taking place. Because they're using the language of God. Ezekiel 16.8. This is God speaking of his relationship with his people. I passed by, and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, 
I spread the corner of my garment over you and I covered your nakedness. I gave you my solemn oath and I entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. God is speaking of his marital relationship with his people. One of the things that's so troubling in the Old Testament when we look at God's people and their unfaithfulness is that they are married to God and they have cheated on him. And in this language, what Ruth is saying to Boaz is, will you marry me? Will you redeem me? Will you step in? It's a sign of humility. It's symbolic of protection in marriage. She puts herself out there in faith. Do you? Do you put yourself out there? Do you put yourself out there for the sake of Christ? I mean, that's really the thing. This is not for Ruth necessarily about finding love. It's not necessarily about, it's about her fulfilling her role and duty as a daughter-in-law to her aging mother-in-law. She wants the family name to be carried on. Not only does she propose, it's precious. Ruth 2.12 says, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward was given you to the Lord, uh, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So what was Ruth's first kindness? Her first kindness was the fact that everything she's done for her mother-in-law. The kindness that he speaks of right here is the kindness of the fact that she did not go to pursue love. Instead, she pursued to to make good on the name of her family. She's going to answer the the prayer. That's the kindness. Because the truth is, and I'm cautious when I say this, Boaz is, is getting kind of lucky that Ruth wants to marry him. He's an older, single man. I think it's a safe assumption, especially because they're so concerned about something happening to Ruth out in the field, that she is attractive. She's young. And this is the time when everyone does what is right in their own eyes. I think it's probably safe if we saw Ruth and Boaz together, we would think that maybe she's a gold digger. We would probably be like, how'd that happen? I mean, because we do. Everybody's looking at me judgy. I know most of you judge people when you see people. You've seen the attractive person or the one person with the other person, and you're like, "Eh, I wonder how that happened. You see, but Ruth, Ruth doesn't care. Ruth's not about that. Ruth is about faithfulness. She's about loyalty to her mother-in-law. That's what matters. She takes the opportunity for the sake of carrying on the lineage. I think there, once again, we see Christ-likeness in her. Who does that resemble? Not my will, but yours be done. Christ at the cross, Christ in the garden. Caring about other people's needs over self. Well, do you make those difficult choices when you know what is right? Is God your focus? Because that's the beauty with Ruth here. She's all about that. So we see the command of Naomi. She cares dearly. She calculates rightly. We see the compliance of Ruth. She obeys the plan. She offers the proposal. Now we look at Booth. Booth, uh, not Booth. Who's Booth? (laughs) New character in it. Boaz, being a noble man, does the right thing. First of all, he protects her. Read verse 10 with me. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. 
You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer than I, nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning he will redeem you good. Let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Notice first of all the praise. He calls her a worthy woman. What was Boaz called the previous chapter? He was a worthy man. He's celebrating her and her, uh, her dignity. What do we value, America, 2023? What do we value in a woman? Let's be honest. What? Come on, say it. Personality. Maybe. Appearance. Looks. I mean, we're obsessed with looks. Talent. Abilities. Position. Power. In the, in the value system of America, where does character fall? Right? And yet, when Boaz is looking, and like I said, Ruth is probably an attractive woman. There's no mention of her appearance. Because what is beautiful about Ruth is her character, her integrity, her, her godliness. She's a worthy woman. Actually, in the, the, the Hebrew Bible, initially, this, the story of Ruth is following the book of Proverbs. And it's ironic because guess how Proverbs 31 ends? It's the woman of noble character. 2930 of Proverbs 31. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. What's this woman look like? Turn to the book of Ruth. So what Boaz is celebrating is, I would, I would be honored, I would be privileged, Ruth, to marry a woman like you. Well, are we valuing those kind of things in our society? Dads of girls, value character in your daughter. That should be what matters to you, the godliness of your kid. Guys, Beauty is fleeting. She might be pretty today. She might not be as pretty tomorrow. And you're surely not going to be as handsome as you are today. So you better hope and pray that there's something more with this person in your life than just uh, an attractiveness. You want godliness. You want somebody who is growing in their relationship with Christ and showing fruit in their life. And that's what we see here, and he praises that. But not only does he praise her, he promises to protect her. There's a problem, though. There is a closer relative. Did Ruth know about a closer relative? Did Naomi know? Apparently not. Could he have lied? He could have lied. He could have taken advantage of Ruth. He doesn't. He protects her. Not only does he protect her from himself, where he's above reproach, he is worried about gossip. Gossip doesn't happen in a small town, does it? Oh, it does. Gossip happens everywhere. 
small town. It's going to look really fishy if she's walking away at night from where Boaz is. And she's the Moabite woman, pretty young lady, what's going on? So somebody's there with him, one of his workers apparently, and he says, make sure nobody knows that this went down, that she was here. And then he ends up protecting her. And here's the deal. In the Mishnah, the Jewish book of law, Boaz having a sexual relationship with Ruth would have excluded him from being the, guess what? Kinsman redeemer. Even the hint of it. So man, this is like danger, all of this stuff. Hebrews 13, 4, let your marriage bed be held in honor and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge. And both of them do that. They're safe. They're holy. There's integrity. Well, do you live above reproach? Do you strive for purity? Does witness matter to you? I think sometimes we don't take serious what our lives look like before an unbelieving world. Like, it's, it's a big deal. When I do premarital counseling, I, I won't do weddings when people are, are typically living together because it just looks bad. Even if there's purity going on in the relationship to your neighbor, it does not look like that. And that matters in God's eyes. Not only does he protect her, he provides for her. Look at the abundant provision in verse 15. He says, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and he put it on her. Then she went into the city and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you matter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Abundant provision. So first of all, we need to remember, Naomi doesn't have access to a cell phone. So there's no texting there's not going on. She didn't have Life 360. She knew exactly where her daughter-in-law was. So she is waiting all night till Naomi shows up. She sees her off in the distance, and she sees her carrying stuff. And it's a whole lot of stuff. Because I think Boaz is giving her a glimpse of the married life. I know some of you, because I've ran into you after church Sunday, there's a particular store down the street that a lot of you show up to after church. What's the store? Costco. Who here likes samples at Costco? Who here sometimes goes to the same sample more than once? I hypothetically have done it. To the point where I've even thought about bringing in different hats, where like I'm a different character so I don't get caught doing it. But the point of Costco samples, besides kindness, is they want you to taste their stuff and say, wow, that's really good. We should bring that home and eat that. So what, what Boaz is doing, and this is great, he's given a glimpse to Ruth, this is what married life's going to be like. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to abundantly provide for you. He gives her, listen to this, roughly 60 to 90 pounds of barley. Poor Ruth. <laughs> like, I just like, I really like, there's certain moments in the Bible, like, I want to go back and I want to watch this. Is she dragging st stuff? Like, she's having back issues from it. I wonder how much, I wonder if there is a trail of barley behind her that she started with 60 to 90 pounds. She got home with 20 pounds. But yeah, that, and, and the point of all of it, I think there's an intentionality. 
is he wants there to be a very clear idea that I am going to care for you beyond measure. And remember, who is he a glimpse of as a redeemer? Christ. And who has given us more than 60 to 90 pounds of barley? Jesus. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. All the spiritual blessings. We are a blessed beyond measure in Christ. And we see a glimpse of that here. But not only the abundant provision, we see a needed pause. I think the other thing that he is doing here is he is giving Naomi a message from God. What's the one thing that he is very concerned that gets communicated to his future mother-in-law? You cannot go back what? Empty-handed. Do you remember that statement? Do you remember what she said when she came back from away? She came back and said, stop calling me Naomi, which means pleasant, Call me Mara, which means bitter, because I went away full, and now I'm back empty. And I think what Boaz is doing, God is ultimately doing through Moaz, is you're not empty anymore, Naomi. You're not empty anymore. Psalm 30, verse 11, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. It's showing that God is not only providing, God is going to provide an heir through this. Like the line is going to go on, I'm going to do it. But here's the deal, we end in chapter 3, and it's kind of a cliffhanger, right? We don't know what's happening. To be continued. That used to happen, now we watch everything on streaming, there's no, unless you're watching when the, the show comes on in a given week, a lot of times now you can binge watch, so there's no cliffhanger. What happened? Flip to the next episode. There's none of that here. She has to wait that, that day. She doesn't know what's going to happen. I think they're confident that Boaz is going to do the right thing, but we just don't know. But do you see how God works for our good and his glory, that there's no accidents, there's no mistakes? <clears throat> what do Michael Koo, Jeff Morrell, Dave Logan and Samara Bay all have in common. Nobody knows the answer to this. I, if you do, no, you're weird. Because their names are all in the closing credits for Marvel's epic blockbuster, the Endgame movie. One is a key grip. One is a gaffer. Good old gaffer. One's an animator. The other one is a dialect coach. There's actually, I think, in that movie over three to 4,000 names in the closing credits. All of these individuals, all of their actions contributed to the final product of the movie we just watched. Each person played his or her role doing their job. And I think what we've seen today in Ruth is God uses people to carry out his will. When God's people do the things God's way, the finished product is glorious. None of us are insignificant. None of us are useless. God carries out his will in our lives. That's why this chapter is so amazing. Naomi decides to help her daughter-in-law get married. 
Doesn't do it perfectly, but she does it well. Ruth decides to participate in the plan because she's worried about her mother-in-law's line being carried on. Boaz decides to respond as the kinsman redeemer. Each of these people made active decisions to be faithful, to be obedient, and yet God's will was unfolding in their midst. And friends, that's true of you and I. We each play our part. Each of us have these moments every day. Today, you're going to have opportunities to be faithful for God in those moments. Some of those moments might be big. Some of them might be small, but you have those opportunities that nothing in your life, nothing in you, none of you are insignificant and useless. Be faithful in the moments that God gives you. Are you living for him? Because remember, it's about Jesus. Let's pray. God, we come before you. We thank you for Ruth. We thank you for Naomi. And we thank you for Boaz. We thank you for the example they all ultimately of Jesus Christ in their faithfulness. We thank you, uh, Lord, that you have set us examples of what it looks like to follow hard after you. I pray for each and every one here that if we're believers, that, Lord, we would be faithful believers. I pray for those here who might be outside of that, who don't know Christ, that today might be the day that you open up their eyes to their need of Jesus. We ask this in his precious name. Amen.